Welcome folks to Life Outside of Software, where we kind of hit the Venn diagram of culture and software and try to figure out where each are moving. So this week we're really talking about AI, and I've been really fascinated by the, the trend of generative AI, whether that be in terms of images, videos, or text. Right now we see the text really taking the forefront with Bing um, and ChatGPT3. I think that's how you, ChatGPT technically, but they're really taking the forefront and it's really interesting to consider i think looking at it from oblique angles so this week i have three articles that really consider it from different perspectives so the first is looking at it from a company perspective right and it talks about the maze is in the mouse it really dives into the culture of google and how they let microsoft get out ahead of them which is a weird sentence to even say but it's really interesting uh really deep dive about culture, about monopolies, and the nature of feedback loops and how they affect how businesses and technology develop. I think it's a really interesting way of looking at AI is really digging deep into the companies that are creating it and what they are and aren't doing well. The next article is called Love in the Time of Replica. Now, Replica is something I had messed with a long time ago to use as a reflection tool. It's like a little chat bot. And I was using it to say, you know, hey, how was your day? And really, like download how my day went. Turns out that's not how everyone uses it. One use of it is to create virtual partners. And this use case makes for very interesting considerations about who owns a chatbot, right? And as we make them more personalized, do you still own it? So the, the example the author brings up here is what if you have a you know virtual relationship with a chatbot, much like her, who owns that chatbot? What happens if that chatbot gets turned off or disabled? And that's actually what happened very recently with Replica. They did not age gate their software. So different users, including children, were being prompted with like explicit themes. And for good reason, they shut it down. But people on the platform who were of age also had their chatbot relationships shut down. And it was really uh, devastating for them. So. Well, it's really interesting to think about this intersection of AI relationships. And then, of course, the buzzword that of, of all buzzwords, crypto, right? Because one way to ensure that you can continue a digital relationship is if you own it, if you own the software um, that, that runs it. So I think a good analogy here is Jarvis, right, from Iron Man. If you think about how valuable that is to Iron Man, he owns it proprietarily because he owns the company. But what if everyone had this one-to-one -one relationship with their digital assistants? And on the flip side, what if we don't have that? What if your digital assistant could be turned, right? What if someone could ask your digital assistant for a bunch of sensitive information? We don't want that happening. So really thinking about the ownership of these platforms is really fascinating. And thinking about it through the lens of relationships is a really nice entry point. So I highly recommend that article. Finally, I think one super interesting way of looking at this beyond the company and you know this cultural aspect is how does this actually work physically, right? When we talk about AI, so much of it is up in the clouds and, and hard to really get a grasp on. But I love this article because it dives into the infrastructure that makes AI work and how that affects this race for AI, right? And I think there's some really interesting considerations, a lot of nuance here because initially the author, his opinion was that the biggest companies were gonna have the best AI because that's what it took to create great models. What we're seeing is AI has come so far so fast that you don't need a ton of compute powder to create a good model. 
right? So the difference between Meta's model and Microsoft's model and a smaller company's model is not going to be that huge. The difference is going to be how they can deploy that at scale. That's going to be really challenging. So it's not in the creation of unique AI. It's in the deployment of AI that we're going to see differentiation. I think that's really fascinating, really important. I don't fundamentally understand the implications, but I think it's something that's not being talked about enough. Now, those are kind of the AI-focused articles for this week, right? And we're again, since we're in life outside of software, we're looking at the intersection of culture and software and how those two mix. So I think there's lots of interesting stuff there. The next article is really culture focused, right? So I work at a digital advertising company and we work with a lot of small creators who have built wonderful one-to-one -one relationships with their customers and their audience, right? In all kinds of fields. And I was just kind of, I've been following this website called Cup of Joe for a while. I love kind of travel and culture and they have this great series on parenting in different countries, right? And so I follow them and this popped up. It's called Welcoming Cup of Joe's Divorce Era. I think this is really interesting because with these creators, there's such a one-to-one -one relationship that any personal stuff that happens disrupts your business and vice versa. Any business stuff that happens disrupts your personal life. So this is a really interesting and I think challenging example of if you're an influencer and you're married, what happens if you get divorced? And I think this author, Joe, has gone about it in a really graceful, thoughtful way. I just thought it was really well done and very interesting to look into how a creator whose life is their business handles a divorce. The final article, which I think is incredible, is called Don't Call Yourself a Programmer, right? It seems like it's very software oriented. And yes, this is life outside of software. But I think if you look carefully at the article, it really, really applies anywhere. Now, the tagline I kind of wrote for this article is, you are not an expert at Excel. You're an expert at identifying business opportunities with data. Why do I say that? Because the whole point of the article is you are not your skills. You are what your skills produce. And that's how you should sell yourself and position yourself. I think that's important, whether you're a programmer or not. Very interesting stuff. Now, those are the articles of the week. Again, just to wrap up, kind of looking at AI from a variety of angles that I think are missed, you know, from a cultural angle, from a physical angle, and from a company angle. And we talked a little bit about a great blog and this challenge of your personal life disrupting your business. And finally, we talked about how to talk about your career. That is the articles of the week. I'm going to talk really quickly about one book I'm reading because I think it's incredibly important. It's called Wide Sargasso Sea by Gene Riz. And I'm terrible at pronouncing things, so I probably butchered that. But I'm a sucker for Victorian novels. This one's really interesting because it actually is a prequel to Jane Eyre, which I really enjoyed, but found deeply problematic, right? A lot of these Victorian novels, you have people um, they talk about they have 30,000 pounds a year or something like that. And you don't really understand. They don't talk about where that money's coming from, right? And in reference to another book I'm reading called Harvest of Empire, that money is coming mostly from colonial conquest, right? Or, or companies in other countries or plantations they own, right? That's the part we don't talk about. And White Sargasso Sea talks about that. And I think it's really interesting because it really takes a deep dive into um, Jamaica through the lens of a Creole, uh, which is a white person in Jamaica around the time of colonialism. And it's just a very interesting deep dive into what life was like. And I think a really good look at the other half of these books that we all idolize, like Pride and Prejudice, or at least I do. I really enjoy it. Um, I guess as I talk about that book, I want to quickly touch on Harvest of an Empire, which is really fascinating, a deep dive into the formation of Latin America, starting from the occupation 
of Spain in, in Southern America, right? Very interesting, very worth a read. That's a part of history I don't understand very well. Finally, in the newsletter, you'll find tools of the week. I think I found some really good ones. I'm not gonna do that all the time, but I'm throwing those in. Now, to wrap up, I wanna talk about two ideas of the week. So this week, I had a, quite a few times where I really got fatigued and felt bad and stuck when working on a problem. Now, what I ended up realizing is I was thinking about things in too big of a picture, right? So I was working on um, building something out. And instead of thinking about it in chunks, I thought about it as a whole project. I think there's a real challenge that we run into when we think about projects as tasks. What we really need to be careful of is breaking projects into tasks rather than thinking of a project as a task. A project as a task is incredibly overwhelming and wears us out. So when you're feeling, when you see yourself working on a task for more than an hour or a task that you thought would take a short time but is taking a long time, it's probably a project and you need to break it up. So think about that. Finally, waking up at a reasonable time is better than getting up early. That's something I've learned just in terms of sleep and what I've really taken from it is it's better to be consistent, but less good than exceptional and inconsistent, right? So in terms of sleep, for me, that means I need to go to bed a little bit later than I'd want to wake up a little bit later than I would want to, because I can do that consistently. Now, that might mean for you for work, working a little bit less than you want to each day so that you can work more over time and not have spikes. I think consistency is incredibly important. And in anything, it's that compound interest that pays off in the end. Thank you so much for joining us today, folks. I, I hope you really have some new ways to think about artificial intelligence, some interesting ways of thinking about the Victorian novels that we all love. And I hope you found some good tools in the newsletter. And once again, when you're stuck on a task, it probably means it's a project and you need to break it up. And remember, reasonable is better than perfect if it's consistent.